Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. Today I am excited because I get to talk about one of my favorite people in all of the Bible, and that guy is named Daniel. I love Daniel. I think a lot of people do because of the famous story that he has with the lions. To the little boy in me, a guy getting thrown in a pit of lions and surviving, that's pretty epic, right? I mean, that's a great story, one that I wish I could tell from my life. Have you ever survived in a pit of lions? I mean, think about it. Heck, have you ever seen a lion that wasn't in the zoo? I have it. So it's a pretty epic story, right? And so to preach about a guy who lived with them for a moment, for, for a few hours at least, and came out unscathed, uh, that's pretty cool. It's kind of exciting, right? But there's so, so much more to Daniel than just a bunch of lions. I mean, just take a, a look quickly at his name, right? The, the name Daniel has three syllables, right? And each one in Hebrew has a meaning. Dan means judge, right? The, the little E sound, right? It means my, right? So, so and then the, the L in Daniel, Daniel, right? Means God. So Daniel's name means God, my judge, or, or God is my judge. Now take my name, for instance, Andrew, right? Andrew means strong and manly, right? right? I'm definitely living up to my name, right? Strong and manly, right? Now, Christina, my wife's name, her name means believer in Christ. And I would say that the Keenies, we're, we're kind of living up to our names for some of us, right? right? Daniel, he lived up to his name in a remarkable way. In a remarkable fashion. He, he lived a life that shouted this truth. Take a look. Right? He lived this life. God is my judge, not man. Right? God is my judge and not man. Right? God is my judge. No king of, of Babylon. No king of, of Persia. Right? To God I will have to give an account. I'm going to live for him and him alone. I'm going to live my life not for Nebuchadnezzar, not for Belazar, not for, for Darius. God is my judge. Right? Daniel, uh, he, he lived his life in such a way that there was no doubt that he forged his life on God. Everything that he had, everything that he is, everything that he was, he forged it on God. God. And, that, and that's what's exciting. That's what we're seeing as we're reading through our, our families, as we're reading through the story. And if you don't have a copy, it's still not late to grab a copy on your way out today, or if you're watching online, to let us know and we can send you one, right? And that's what we're seeing in this week's chapters that we were reading. Daniel forged his life on God. Daniel's life was built on God, and his way of looking at the world was drenched with God, our Lord, right? His whole life was centered on him. His whole life was forged on him, right? Isn't that the point of this, this whole story, right, that we've been looking at? 
Long story short, from Genesis to Revelation, really, right? It isn't the, it's the whole point of our lives, really, right? That, that we should be forged on God, focused on Him, right? Let me, let me give you a, a little backstory here. But first, look at this, right? Look at this. When God, you got this? When God is at the center of our lives, everything else finds a place, right? When God is at the center of our lives, everything else finds a place, right? So the backstory to this, to how Daniel can be an example of this truth, right? At at the beginning of the book of Daniel, uh, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, conquered Judea. As part of this this first siege of Jerusalem uh, by Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel was a part of the group of Jews that was led away to captivity in Babylon. Right? He was captured, and he was brought back to the Babylon kingdom. One of the things that we know about Daniel because of this, this capture is that he was of noble descent. Uh, he was uh, some sort of Jewish royalty, if you will. Right, of nobility. One reason, just one reason that he was brought back to the Babylonian kingdom. He had some value. And according to, to Bible scholars, he was probably no more than 15 to 20 years old at the time. So think about this. Imagine this, right? You, you are a teenager. You're, you're taken away from your family and you're brought to a, a foreign place to be uh, someone's servant, right? You have gone from royalty to, uh, to being a servant, a slave in a matter of days, all from nobility, right? Your whole life is, is just turned upside down, and that's just the beginning of this, of this mess. But, right, here's the thing, right? Daniel has a secret, Right? He, he had a center. He, he had a focus. He had something that he was walking toward, something that he was forging his life on, uh, on the unchanging God of the universe, right? on the God that, that stays God in both captivity, in slavery, in, in chaos, and in mess, but also in, in freedom. Right? So Daniel was not shaken. He, he was steadfast. His, his core was strong. Right, think, of, think about it like this. Have you ever had an injury to your, your stomach or a, a surgery right, that, that just worked through your, your muscles in your stomach, right, your abs? Right? Or, or maybe you just really worked out really, really tough right? and, you, and you're sore. You, your abs are a little bit swollen. Now, what happens when that's the case? It affects everything, right? right? You cannot sit up. You cannot bend over. Uh, you cannot lay down. Heck, it even hurts probably to, to laugh a little bit, right? When your core is weak or, or off track, wounded, right? Everything else hurts when you move, right? Uh, on the other side of that coin, right, if you have a a strong core, you'll be stronger everywhere else, right? A strong core makes it easier to lift heavy loads. It makes it easier to run, 
Uh, my, my wife tells me that if you have a strong diaphragm, which, which is your, your core, basically, right? It's easier to sing or to speak, right? The center of your body can change everything, right? So the, the center of your life, the thing that you're focusing on and forging your life on, is no different, right? When we put God first, when we put him at the center, right? When we forge our life on him, nothing can shake us or move us, right? The, the Bible puts it this way in, in Matthew, right? It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, right? Seek first the kingdom of God. Right? And his righteousness and all these things will be added onto you. Right? When God is at the center of everything else, we'll find its place. Now, this reminds me of an old uh, story uh, that I like, like to tell. I've heard before by an old preacher. It was during an earthquake, earthquake some years ago that the in inhabitants, the citizens of a, a small village were, were generally very alarmed, but they were at the same time surprised at the calmness and the apparent joy of an older woman who they all knew. And one of the, the women's children said to her, mother, are you not afraid? No, said the woman. I rejoice to know that I have a God who can shake the world, right? It's a funny old preacher story, but it's a great point, right? That is what Daniel knew, right? He knew the power of the God that he centered his life around, and he knew that only God would judge him. So he focused, with all that he had, his life on God, and he never looked back. He kept moving forward, right? Time and time again, Daniel put God at the center and let no one else judge him. All right, just let's take a quick look at his life. All right, the, the facts of Daniel's life are simple enough. He was a prisoner of war in the foreign kingdom of Babylon. He had come from a, a noble family, like we said, and like we read about this week. But Babylon's conquest, his deportation and captivity of the, the people of Judea that he was a part of, had crushed any hope. Uh, of power, of, of honor that Daniel might have had, right? And then as we read, there was an unexpected ray of hope, right? King Nebuchadnezzar wanted some young Israelites trained for service in the government. Kind of a, a plot twist moment, right? After all, these, these young boys are, had already had a pretty good education. Nebuchadnezzar he just wanted to be the one to finish it. Right? So Daniel and the other promising Jewish slaves began training for positions of honor and power. And they got to go from being the king's slaves to being a part of the king's governing service in just a small fraction of a way. Right? Things were, were kind of or starting to look up for Daniel and his friends. And all they had to do was accept the privileges that were offered. That's all they had to do, right? They needed to eat, is what we read, and what we'll see here in a second. Right? When, when 
you saw this or when you, if you were reading it with your family in this story uh, this week. Now, for, for me and, and maybe for you, this need to eat something, right, that's probably not a very big deal, right? If, if this king was saying, eat this, and you're going to have some, some privileges, it's not a problem, right? right? If we're being held captive and we were told to have, that we have to eat the king's food, I would be like, sign me up. I hope it's a, a big old steak, right? right? With, with some sides, maybe, maybe some banchan, right? They're coming up the road, right? I'm so excited, right? So we may be asking, what is the holdup here, Daniel? Right? All you have to do is keep your head down and, and to keep your head on, really. But, but Daniel doesn't do that. Right? He, he questions it. Man, I've, I've learned this about Daniel. Right? He's like the kid in, in the class who tells the teacher, hey, you forgot to collect the homework as the final bell's ringing. Right? That, that's Daniel. He, he's that kid, right? Everyone thinks that they're getting out of, of submitting that homework that they didn't do. That's the same thing, right? Here comes Daniel to remind us all of the most important thing, right? The, the Bible is not entirely clear uh, why Daniel questions this, but scholars have a pretty good idea. And that is that the food that the king was eating and now sharing with these slaves, with these, these captives, uh, was probably included in some sort of, of practice of idolatry. It was sacrificed to a, a, an idol, to a foreign god. And this was considered an unclean practice by the Israelites, by the Jews. Now, additionally, it is important to remember that most of the, the Jewish people that Daniel knew were in captivity and probably not enjoying any food, let alone food from the king's table. Right? To, to Daniel, it's possible that accepting the, the rich foods, the good foods, was simply seem wrong in the light of the suffering of the rest of Israel who didn't have it as good as he was. Right? I look at it like this. It seems to me that it wasn't captivity that tested Daniel's holiness. It was privilege. Right? It, was, it was the privilege that was being offered to him. Right? If we reread the earlier part of the story, story Daniel, this guy, didn't argue with the, the education, right? the, the training program that the king was putting him in. He didn't argue with that. He didn't argue about a potential future serving in the king's court. He didn't argue about that. He didn't even balk when he was renamed Belshazzar, right? After a pagan god. He didn't even say anything about that that we know of, Right? I mean, I would have said something if I was renamed something that sounds like it should be in the Garden of the Galaxy movies, right? <laughs> right? Daniel drew the line where the scripture drew the line. Right? He wouldn't eat the king's food or drink the king's drink. Right? He drew the line at the privilege because that is where God drew the line. Right? So Daniel reminds us of this. Not every good thing is a God thing. Not every good thing is a God thing, right? For Daniel, the, uh, the steak or whatever, the heavy foods were a good thing, but they were not a God thing. In fact, they were a thing that could have very easily taken his focus, his, his forging off of God, right? First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 says it this way. I have the right to do anything, you say, 
but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. He's living this out, right? For, for us, it could be something else, right? For instance, we could be given the opportunity to do two jobs, right? Uh, three, three Bible studies and, and join three different social clubs that will look good on the resume. All these things are good things, but if we do them all, we'll be overcommitted and probably not do any of them well. Right? It's the, the same type of situation. Not every good thing is a God thing. Or maybe you receive two amazing job offers on the same day. One will pay you more and has amazing benefits, but the other one, it means that you'll have more time with your family or, or more time to, to, to do the things that God is calling you to do. They're both good things, but which one is a God thing, right? Or perhaps for you parents, maybe your child has the opportunity to be on an incredible team. Right? This could mean great opportunities for them down the road, but it also means that they, they will have to be away from home every single night and miss church every Sunday morning through the years that they're growing up. This is a good thing, probably a, a very good thing, but is it a God thing? Right? That is what Daniel is showing us. Right? Sure, the, the king's food was good, Sure, it was tasty. I would bet that it was probably uh, a great thing, a mouth-watering thing, but it was not a God thing. Right? So Daniel had to choose to do the hard stuff, the hard thing, right? the, the God thing, to make sure that he kept God at the center of his life, that he was staying focused on him, walking that line, forging his life on him. Now let me... Here, zoom out for a moment, right? Some 60 years or so years later, right, Daniel finds himself in another predicament where he must make a choice, where he he has to make a decision. In chapter 6 of the book of Daniel, we can find the most famous story of his life, right? And for the the sake of time, and because I, I know that most of us read it this week, While you're reading through the copy of the story that you have, I'm going to give you a summary of how we get to that lion's den, that epic story (laughs) that I talked about in the beginning. The the new king decided to divide his kingdom into 120 providences that will be ruled by appointed officials. 120 providences, and then he's going to put appointed officials over each and every one of those, like governors of sorts, like little kings of sorts, right? And the king also chose three separate officials to oversee uh, those 120 officials and to protect the king's interest. Now, apparently, right, our, our guy, Daniel, during this time in captivity, has earned the trust of the king and the officials so much that Daniel himself has earned one of those three spots. Right, in charge of the, the other 120 governors or little kings, right? To oversee those districts. And to no one's surprise, Daniel's pretty good at it. Right? He's, he, he's rocking it. He's doing great things. But when the other two administrators or, or overseers who were appointed to oversee the other 120 heard that Daniel was one of them, they got a little upset. Right? They, they start to... Th- thinking to themselves. 
Maybe they were, were skimming off the top, so to speak, right? They were, they were cheating the system. Who knows what they were doing? But when they heard that Daniel was going to be a part of them and, and be in charge, they would no longer be able to fill their own pockets, right? They were, were, were going to be no longer to, to skim off the top. And for some reason, they thought that they could justify uh, a way for him to be arrested, to be thrown into jail. And after looking into Daniel's life, they concluded, as it says in verse 5, that their only chance of accusing Daniel to get rid of him so that they can continue their, uh, their skimming, right? Their only way that they could do that was to create a law. A law that, that had to do with Daniel's faith, with his forging his life on God, with his, his focus, with his core, right? So these two convinced the king to sign a law making it illegal to pray to anyone but the king himself, right? So, so let's pick up in verse 10 to see Daniel's response. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 6, verse 10 through 16. Now you can use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you and those you can take with you. They are free. Uh, they're, they're for you to take, to give away, to use. Um, they're easier to grab from the seats in front of you than your own seat. And if you're watching online or if you're here, you can also download the Foundry Burke app and click the Bible tab and it's right there for you. But verses 10 through 16 says this. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its window open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he has always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. And so they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days any person who prays to anyone divine or human except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Well, yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It is, in, it is an official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. Right? Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judea, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Right? Hearing this, right, it says the, the king was deeply troubled and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. Because right? Daniel had some value. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. All right, keep, keep reading with me. It says, In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and of the Persian, no law that the king signs can be changed. <laughs> Not much of a king, right, if he can't change his own laws. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. All right? All right this shows that Darius, right, the, the God of the month type of, of God title, 
wasn't worth the paper that it was printed on because being a god, right, which he thought he was, is not worth much unless you can do whatever you want to do, right? And he, he, he can't do what he wants to do. He can't save David. So let's keep reading, right? Verse 17 says this, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the, the, the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel, right? Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Poor king, right? Couldn't sleep in his palace, right? Right, very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. Right, when he got there, he called out in anguish, it says, Daniel, servant of the living God, right? He's recognizing who God is, right? The servant of the living God was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions. <laughs> this is where it's cool, right? Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. Right, what a great story. I think it's interesting to note that, that whereas the king could not sleep in his palace, his luxurious home, Daniel apparently slept great even though he was surrounded by a den full of lions. Right? He probably even used one of them as a pillow that night, right? Maybe, maybe he read some of the Psalms and fell asleep while reading between the lines. Uh, you guys get that? I didn't think anyone was going to get it. All right. All right, let me say that. I'm going to say that again just because you didn't get it, right? Maybe he read some of the Psalms or some scripture and fell asleep while reading between the lines. I couldn't wait for that one. All right, I couldn't resist. All right, Daniel chapter 6, verse 23 through 28 says this, the king was overjoyed, right? The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him for he had trusted in his God, right? Then the, the king gave orders to arrest the, <laughs> this is what's funny, the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children, the lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. All right, then King Darius sent his message to the people of, of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you, it says. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. And he will endure forever. Right? His kingdom, it says, will, will never be destroyed. And his rule, right? this living God, his, his rule will never end. His, he rescues and he saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel right? Prospered. He grew, right? During the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. 
Isn't that a great story? And this is a story that is such an encouragement to us as we, as we forge our life on, on God. You see, this is, this is the, the famous Daniel story. And yes, the, the lions are cool, but the story that I want to end with about Daniel's life is not this story. Not about Daniel in the lion's den, right? It, it is an epic story, but the most amazing part of the story happens be, way before the lion's den. It happened in verse 5 of that, of that chapter, of chapter 6. Right? The, the other two officials could not find anything wrong in Daniel's life. That's the most amazing part of the entire story. Right? They couldn't find anything wrong with Daniel's life. Listen, we live about 20 minutes away from downtown D.C., and to find a blameless man right, seems like a miracle. Right? It just does. But every couple of days, someone from up on the hill is being found out or accused of another scandal. It seems like there are no men left with integrity. But Daniel, right, they had to make up laws, to make up rules to get him in trouble, rules about his faith, right? When we look up integrity, it should just have a picture of Daniel winking and kind of giving us the, the finger thumb up, thumbs up thing, right? That's what it should be in the dictionary, right? The story of the lion's den is great. And while it, while it gives us hope that integrity is still out there, that's the point, right? But what exactly is integrity? Right? How, how do we use it? Right? How, do we, how do we have it? You know, Old Webster's Dictionary defines it this way. Right? Integrity is consistency and sincerity with no deception or pretense. And, and that gives us a, a pretty good understanding, a good start to our, our understanding of integrity. But there's so much more to it. Right? Integrity comes from the Latin word integer, right? Which means whole. Right? That's what it means. Whole. That's, that's the word integer, where we get the word integrity from. And it means whole. But the word integrity itself is a martial word. It's a word that we call a martial word that comes from us from the ancient Roman infantry, from uh, an army tradition. And I think this is what is cool, right? During uh, the time of the 12 seizures, the, the Roman army would conduct morning inspections for every centurion for every soldier that was there. And as the inspection happened, the inspecting centurion, the ranking soldier, would come in front of each legionnaire, and the soldier would strike his, his chest, right? Right above his heart with his hand, right? with a fist. He would, he would strike his chest, right? The breastplate that covered his heart, he would strike it as the, as the inspector would come in front of him, right? The armor there had to be the strongest, right? It protected his heart from, from thrusts of swords, from, from arrows. This is where it had to be the strongest. And so as the soldier struck his armor, he would shout, integritus, integritus. So he would, integritus, every day, every morning, right? Which in, in Latin means uh, material, wholeness, completeness, and entirely, Right? So he, he would shout that. The, the inspecting centurion, the ranking soldier, would listen closely to the voice uh, of the legionnaire, right? that, that it was strong, right? that he was saying integritus with all that he had 
and a voice that was, was commanding and healthy, that showed no sign of wavering. He would also listen for the sound of the armor, right? Because there, there's a ring that solid armor would give off when struck, right? So he would, he would listen for the, the thud of the armor, the ring of a, of a solid suit of armor, and, and the voice, a strong voice. And if, it was, if he was satisfied that the armor was sound and that the, the soldier beneath it was protected, he would then move on to the next man. Right? The, the centurion was literally looking for the integrity, the integrity, right, that's where we get the word, of the man and his armor. And if it was found lacking, he could not fight. Right? He had dishonor in his life. And that is what the integrity of Daniel teaches us. Look, the integrity of a Christ follower makes them battle ready. <laughs> right? the, the integrity that we have makes us battle ready. Right? One of my, my favorite commentators, Warren Wiersbe, observes this. He says, a person with integrity is not divided. Right? That's duplicity. Or merely pretending. That's hypocrisy, he says. He or she is whole. Their life is put together and things are working together in harmony. People with integrity have nothing to hide and nothing to fear. Right? Nothing to fear. Right? Daniel could face the lions because he had centered his life on God. He had focus. He had purpose. Time and time again and always chose uh, the God thing, even if it wasn't the easiest thing, even if it was the difficult thing. He chose the God thing, always choosing to forge his life on God. And so he was ready for whatever was around the corner. Kings who thought they were God, uh, co-workers who thought they could get someone in trouble, lions in a pit. Right? He was battle ready. Now, as we close here, let me tell you another quick story. Right? During the, the time of those legionnaires that I mentioned, were, were pounding their chest and shouting, Integritas, there was another group of soldiers building up their ranks, and that was the imperial bodyguards. Right, not Star Wars, right? <laughs> but the Roman imperial bodyguards. Right, these men were, were drawn from the best politically correct soldiers of the legions. And they received the, the finest equipment and the finest honors. And there was one little difference, right, though. Right, these men in this, in this division of the army no longer had a shout integritus to signify that their armor and that the man wearing it was sound. Instead, as they struck their breastplate, as they, as they struck their breastplate in the morning, they would shout, Hail Caesar. Right? There was no longer shouting about integrity. Instead, they were, were shouting about their allegiances to, to Caesar. Not to their unit, not to a, uh, an institution, not to a code of ideals or a, a greater, greater purpose. Right? They, they armored themselves to serve the cause of a, of a single man. Right? A, a century passed and a rift between the, the legion and the imperial bodyguard kept growing larger and larger. To signify the difference between the two organizations, the legionnaire, upon striking his armor, would no longer shout integritus, but instead would shout integer. Right? Integer. They shortened it. Integer, which means undiminished, complete, perfect, whole, 
right? And they were, they were now shouting about their completeness as a unit. They were committed to one ideal, right? To, to one uh, as a group, as a team, to a committed cause that they were called out to accomplish, right? It not only indicated that their armor that they were wearing was sound, it was also an indication that the soldier wearing the armor now was of sound character, right? that he was worth wearing that breastplate. Right? He was complete in his integrity. His heart was in the right place. His standards and his morals were not lacking. They were high. Right? More importantly, he was not associated with the immoral conduct that was rapidly becoming the signature of the imperial guards. They were saying, I'm different. I have a code. I have a purpose. I'm as sound as my armor. Right? The imperial guard, however, well, because of their, their laziness, they stopped having morning inspections altogether. In fact, they stopped a lot of their drills. And because of their armor, uh, it started to feel heavy. <coughs> Excuse me. They asked the emperor if they could stop wearing their breastplates altogether in battle. And then eventually they, they stopped wearing their helmets because they too were heavy. And eventually they were fighting with nothing. And as a 4th century Roman general wrote, our soldiers fought the Goths without any protection for the heart and head and were often beaten by the archers before the real battle even began. Although there were many disasters which led to the loss of great cities, no one tried, this is what's crazy, no one tried to restore the armor to these, these soldiers, to this, these imperial guards. They took their armor off. They left it off. And when the armor came off, so too came their integrity. It was no longer there. You see, when we abandon integrity, right, when we focus on something other than God, when we forge our lives on the wrong things, we can no longer stay in the fight. Right? We can no longer be battle ready. Our armor comes off, our, our protection goes by the wayside, and we are left to fight in nothing but the shirts on our backs, and we will lose every time. Living without integrity, living without that wholeness, like that code, living without that is often a lot easier. It's simpler, right? Who wants to wear a heavy breastplate? Who wants to spend the night with lions? Who wants to do the hard thing? But without integrity, we will not make it. Right? Proverbs, it says like this. It says it like this in, in chapter 11, verse 3. That integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Right? Daniel, this man, shows us uh, that to fight, all we need is God. Right? All we need is God. That he is going to allow us to fight, not from a place of desperation, but from a place of victory, as the song says. Right? When we center our lives on him and choose things that seek after him, when we, we choose to live a life worthy of him, our best life, a life that is forged on him, we win the battle every time. Right, just look at the decree right, that, that the king, after Daniel survives the lion den, made. Right? I decree, he said, like, like we read, that, that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, 
for he is the living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. Right? He rescues, and he, he saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, it says. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. It's our God. Because of integrity, because of forging our life on him. That's our story. Right? When, when we fight alongside God, when we live life alongside God, we will never be destroyed. We will never fall. We will win. As the band comes back up, as we, as we go ahead and stand, remember that. We don't fight from a place of desperation. We fight from a place of victory because of who God is. And what God is, our Lord, the God, big G God, not a lowercase God, not a man who thinks he's God, but the Lord, the great I am. That's who we worship. That's who we serve. That's who we forge our life on. And that's who we're going to worship this morning. Let's sing together.